This conversation on weirdness features Andrew Atwood, Laurel Broughton, Thomas Klasnick, Michael Loverich, Anna Niemark, and Ellie Ward. Produced for Attention, the audio journal for architecture. In weirdness, what are you defining? When you say someone's weird, it means that they're not conforming, maybe. Uh, it also means that we collectively have already agreed on normal. So why are you so abnormal? Why are you, it means that you know there's a uh, set of expectations of, uh, let's say, timeliness to, to be normal. Because let's face it, what's weird yesterday will become normal mm-hmm. tomorrow. For students to aspire to, let's say, even just aesthetical categories that aren't beautiful, I think is an important lesson to be learned, and weird is certainly one of them, and it's a lesson that I would say I learned from some of my teachers. Weirdness suggests the supernatural, the otherworldly, and the strange, qualities that are defined as being not normal. In this conversation, we'll hear from several voices on topics, including Shklovsky's concept of estrangement, pets, the Rococo, and hipsters. Here's Laurel Brockton, followed by Michael Loverich. The variety of weirdness that I'm interested in is very subtle and in people around me that's all there that's true that there it's actually an interest and a kind of subtlety or subtle on something that's subtly unsettling rather than something that is just like over the top like weird (laughs) weirdness is a term that did come about a little bit around us which found to be a little bit interesting in that like weirdness wasn't really again one of those things that was talked about when we started bitter tang and i do remember the first time that someone approached me to talk to talk to me about weird and i think it was actually michael young who called our work very weird and actually i think jimenez was there as well and they had already had discussions about this. For a long time, we were kind of disconnected from the academic world. I was working extremely hard at Bitter Tang and Snohetta or Riser Umamoto and basically wasn't kind of following any sort of trends at the time or conversations. And that's why I was saying that the weird kind of came up around around us without us necessarily being a part of that conversation until it had already been going for a little while. I think there was strangeness might have been something that we were a little bit more interested in we did we were looking for strange things and i think that's primarily tied again to the pleasurable i mean strangeness is it's again one of those aspects of pleasure that um like kinks other things like that that people are very attracted to with more on the strange here's andrew edwood and any mark weird is a word that we would have used a lot a few years ago and we would have tied it to, we would have picked the word strange and it has to do with Anna's specific interest in Shlosky and then her showing me this text, showing me that and me being like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, And so terms like estrangement and strange, and I think for me probably are running parallel to weird as a, a way of kind of bringing attention to things. That term and and that specific article and the term estrangement now has been owned isn't the right word. Let's just say co-opted by a whole other group of people that use that term in a very different way than Mm -hmm. than the way that we we initially used Mm -hmm. it. And as a result, I think not that not that not that a lot of those people are 
friends of mine, but it has connotations now and is associated with a certain, um, an interest in a certain set of ideas and a type of philosophy that we're maybe not so, like, I would just say I'm not specifically so interested in. And so it isn't that I disagree with the term weird or even strange, or I would say I, like our interests or earlier interests in abstraction are related a lot to those terms, but it's, it's sort of, it's drifted off into and is used in ways that are different from, from the, the sort of productive uses of it that I think we had a few years ago. I mean, primarily we, our main source of inspiration or whatever, like the things that we were really still looking at the most were things from the Rococo. We did kind of, ignore a little bit the surreal. I think maybe because the surreal was so obviously surreal and we were very interested in like the Rococo because there was an underlying surrealness to the whole thing. I think even at the time, but even now for us to look back on that, that it's not as in your face because there's so much other stuff that's going on in it. So for us, I guess that was, has always been kind of the base of our work and kind of of our research. So the first time that the Rococo was, I came across it was an undergrad. It was in architectural history. We were learning about it. And I was like, first time I'd ever seen it. It's like, holy shit, this is amazing. And just being like totally kind of blown away by the spaces that were created. And then also very distinctly remembering that the professor was like, I don't know, something like, this was a very frivolous era. It didn't last very long. Basically, it was kind of a pointless thing. But we had to, I mean, like, such a negative attitude about it. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. You're young and you're like a little bit too impressionable. So I was kind of like, all right, I'll just pack this away a little bit. This is kind of my guilty pleasure. Uh, and then it wasn't until at UCLA in Jason's studio when he allowed us to kind of. It was like, you know, there's nothing wrong with the past certain eras. Like, you can extract something from every era. And so that was kind of when we were allowed to explore that more fully. And I think just getting our feet dipped into that a little bit during school kind of opened up. I mean, it was just like, once we got our feet in it, got our whole bodies in it, and we just kind of went with it and we've just found so many interesting things that no one had really talked about or no one had really kind of explored and so we wanted to figure out if there was a way of somehow bringing that back early on we were creating all of these creatures and by creating sort of these myths and stories around them not only did it help to um, communicate kind of the thoughts that we were thinking about at the time in terms of how these things move or how they're made, it actually began to kind of build a lifespan into them, which um, it was a way that people could maybe connect with the objects that we were making in a different way. They become much more complex. They're things that do have personalities, they do have characteristics. And so it's not you looking at a beautiful or an ugly object. It's you that's looking at like your pet. You know, it's something that has behaviors that are unique to it and it's yeah it's a way that if you like those behaviors you might want to adopt something like this as a pet well so i'm really interested in the structure of this interview and i'm kind of coming back to thinking about the 10 terms they all seem to me to have negative connotations so maybe to come back to that 
weird, and this comes back to the way in which Andrew described it, right now is a way to talk about something that isn't new, uh, meaning it's not uh, sui generis, it's not the production of something that is without any reference. So weird is that which kind of alters reality or realism. And so that to me is a kind of, again, a way to talk about something that is not new, not completely its own, let's say, fully original uh, object or even something that is fully representational. So maybe that's where the kind of, that, that word fits in. I don't think it fits into the way in which we talk about our work. Uh, the way we used the word estrangement was like to work through conventions in new ways. So, or like, for example, when, when we started introducing things like molding into our work, for example, with the Paranormal Panorama Project, where molding for the first time appeared, that was a way to estrange, to make, like, kind of radicalize uh, something that you could just buy at any hardware store, something that represented non-avant-garde architecture, the most conventional kind of construction technique or practice, and to estrange it into something that belonged to a kind of contemporary sensibility. So that, that would probably belong to this category of weird be, because it dealt with the reality of construction, the reality of building, and turning it a little bit on its head. It, it, was, it was exactly a project that opposed itself to something that was so generously, let's say, composed out of non-material parts or non-architectural parts. Well, the word weird is weird is strange. As Andrew mentioned, strange or estrangement is another art historical term. Weird isn't. Strange has historical bearing, and it comes from very particular texts that within the art historical framework have dealt with the word estrangement, right? And we can point to a couple of different sources for that. Weird isn't that way. Weird comes from a kind of pop culture reference. Now that we're on the topic of pop culture references, let's jump to Jimenez and then Moral, who are talking about hipsters and fashion. We, we, we perhaps will find nothing shocking in watching a Chaplin movie, uh, but for the time, perhaps it was shocking, right? Uh, and I, I think, let's say the gradual uh, sculpting of the timeline that we know of in architecture requires these moments of mutation. Uh, so a cultural mutation is, is probably always inevitable. Like I think, you know, for, for dialects to happen within language, uh, you know, it, it requires someone to start speaking strangely. And if it catches on and there's enough people using certain new words, then yeah, there is morphology in language. And there's for sure morphology in architectural culture. And it requires the little weirds to make, you know, to make a course. Uh, and I think if we if the weirds let's say disappear because it didn't have enough resonance, or if the weird has so much resonance, it'll 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 become the center of a, a new course. A few months ago, I, I saw this video talking about hipsters. When I say the word hipster around the year 2010, again, I think there, maybe there's a visual image, right? Like maybe well-groomed facial hair or, you know, lumberjack-ish outfits with tight trousers and, and particular shoes. You know, like there are certain ways we can compose a, a hipster. And that's a very particular look, right? Uh, and the, the video explains that, you know, 
the same types of people who gravitate towards, uh, let's say, edge of culture or edge of socially accepted behavior to produce a new group that's possible to identify with one another uh, as, let's say, like nonconformists. Like, uh, so when you when you see somebody who walk around wearing a kind of nonconformist look, a group would 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 emerge. Let's see. And so, the same kinds of uh, mentality who are the same kind of nonconformists in the early '90s, maybe showing up with torn jeans and scruffy hair, with acoustic guitars. Uh, the same kind of nonconformists in the you know like late '70s, and, and so may have huge afros and you know. Uh, and so on and so forth. And I think the time, I mean, let's say non-conformists today have, has, this, has a particular look, and, you know, and that's, that's normal in, in a like, larger distance. Like I think in 10, 20 years, um, my friends and I are probably gonna look very dated, and we're gonna represent the time, and that's totally not weird at all. It's totally normal. And I, I think that's just like actually the, the way things the way time goes for me in a certain way it comes out of a realization that i become interested in something actual like at this point in my life i become interested in things that i actually immediately feel like are wrong in some way and i don't know if that is just means that like we or i are at some terrible like end of the Roman Empire like place but if my innate immediate reaction to something is kind of like no then I'm interested in it in it because of its kind of offness and I would see that in my own work the sort of ambiguity aspect I never actually think about the term weird, um, but there. But I do think about off. Like I think the term off is a is a kind of word in my vocabulary that I use to describe what seems like a similar thing. I think off things being off. I'm not going to use the word weird, but I think it applies there too. It's actually it's also a very fleeting condition. And things can get derivatively off very fast, so they're no longer off. They're just a kind of repetition of the same, the same idea. In a bad way, a, a in a bad way, a good analogy, it would be in fashion when a a certain silhouette, someone just starts wearing a some kind of silhouette that is completely different than what is the norm and the way that that seems off at first until everyone adopts it and then it's sort of no longer off in a, cer in a certain way. In our conversation with Ellie and Thomas, we asked about the weird, but also about the curious, the surreal, the enchanted, the enigmatic, and the cute. I don't know, I think all of these are words that we use all the time, aren't they? I don't, don't recognise any of them as being especially new. Well, I think enchantment, though, is quite... Right. They've always if been you, enchanting. But you wouldn't have built, you know, looked at, like, Balfron Tower and said, oh, it's an enchanted... <laughs> Although it is maybe a kind of lack of, you know, you could, you could picture it in some sort of castle, maybe. I don't know, but... 
maybe there is a Silhouette. desire for the mysterious worlds of fairy tale. I mean, you've just been associated with the uh, house in Essex, which is quite gingerbread. Yeah, I mean, that's seriously enchanting. But, it, you know, it, it, is, it is a fairy tale house. Yeah, I mean, it literally is a fairy tale house yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a whole fairy tale narrative woven into it. That's pretty unique. I mean, that's interesting, really, because I think, I mean, I don't think of that as postmodern. I don't think of it as especially of its time. I think it, I don't know, I think it occupies a really timeless position mm. in mm. architectural history. Right, yeah, classically, or not classically, the Gothic, I suppose, is what we would It's a little bit of so many things that, you know, and, um, and there's, I mean, there's nothing else like it. Uh, you know, around whether I mean whether it spawns a load of kind of similar projects over the next few years mm. would be an interesting thing. But I, can't, I don't know. I feel like it won't because it's just quite unique. But the thing to remember about that project is it was a collaboration with yeah. the artist Grayson Perry, and a, a lot of the narrative elements were, were were kind of from from him. His, his kind of his narrative, Judy. Um, weaving that into the, the, the tile decorations and a lot of the decorative elements. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly a continuation of, and, a, and a, a summation in a lot of ways of a lot of that work. I mean, Charles calls it like the ultimate decorated shed. But I mean, if we're talking about enchantment as a, you know, as a, as a kind of buzzword, like, I mean, that house definitely is but I can't I can't think of anything else. But just you know, the way light filters through a certain window at yeah. a certain time can be so enchanting. You know, if you think of Ronchon, I mean yeah. how fucking enchanting is that place? It's when weird. you say weird it makes me think about um sort of shape making of skyscrapers for example and the this question of the icon, the iconic skyscraper and each one having a different shape or you know the Topically, the, the walkie-talkie, which has been voted uh, BD magazine as the most unpopular carbuncle building yeah. this week, also. So maybe that is a you know maybe that's a relatively new thing. I yeah I guess it's kind of tied all together with the networks of production that allow things or buildings like that to be created, and that now it is possible to design a shape like that and have it fabricated, get the windows cut into you know, 20,000 different shapes so that they will fit together to make something less standardised. So maybe there's a, you know, that question of the parametric or the, the idea of algorithms and which were kind of being explicitly explored in arrays of curvatures which you were uh, describing earlier, maybe that now is kind of being utilised to create form in, in that sense you know that um, the technology is just there in the systems that we use which allow us to create a more diverse range of things which could be considered weird i don't think the walkie-talkie is particularly weird there's a lot of people really against it but because it's maybe is one of a new breed of buildings that are shapes in a way like that three-dimensional forms which haven't gone haven't been seen before. You've been listening to a conversation on weirdness. Interviews were conducted by Joseph Bedford, Kurt Gambetta, 
Mark Achari, Joanna Grant, and Kevin Pazik between 2014 and 2015. Produced for the third issue of Attention, the audio journal for architecture, in 2016 by Griffin Ofish.